Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the executive pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit mysouthland.com. Morning, everybody. I am uh, have a chair here so I can sit down if I need to today. We're going into part 20. People are laughing at me already. Of the Sermon on the Mount, but it's not my fault. There's a lot of verses in there, okay? And uh, I keep trying to get to the end in a big chunk, but there's just so much there. that I mean, I, mean, I figure, you know what? If I'm just going to jump to another place in the Bible anyway, I may as well just stay in this part of the Bible. And so we're in the Sermon on the Mount. We are getting towards the end. We're in chapter 7, and uh, we're going to do verses 13 and 14 today. I was going to go all the way to verse uh, 28, 29, uh, but I'm just not. And so... Uh, complain, laugh at me, do all those things, and uh, I'm just doing what I'm doing. Um, there we go. Someone's pumped about it. And uh, I think it's going to be good. It's amazing to me how whatever we're doing as a church, uh, whatever message I end up prepping ends up tying into it. And uh, we're in prayer and fasting month, and it's amazing how these verses uh, really tie in. But the verses I want to look at today, Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I just want to pray and then we'll get into this. Lord, I thank you for this Sermon on the Mount. I thank you for all the things we've learned from you. And Jesus, this message just covers so much of life, and it just covers so much of following you. And we just want to follow you and we want to know you. And uh, so I just pray that you would speak to us as we go through these verses here today. In your name we pray. Uh, amen. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And on the one hand, this is one of those passages that I think a lot of us dread. It's like, oh no, it's another one of those messages where Chris is going to tell us that the, the Christian life is hard, 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 right? And it just seems like that's not a very encouraging passage. It, it just makes things look like the Christian life is not that great. Not to mention the fact that it seems to contradict another famous teaching of Jesus, which is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. If we go there just briefly, I want to show you this because um, we like to pick and choose a little bit uh, what we take from Jesus' teaching what we don't. And, uh, and Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 is a passage we like to quote a lot. This, the, the one on the top there is one from Matthew 7 that we like to quote less. But Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 says this, Come to me, all who, are, uh, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we look at these two passages, and again, a lot of people like to quote the Matthew 11 one. Uh, less people like to quote the Matthew 7 one. But I mean, Jesus did both, right? So both are true. And so uh, you say, well, which, I mean, isn't that a contradiction? One, on one, Jesus says, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. On the other one, he says that the way is hard. And obviously, like I just said, we have to take both. It has to be a both and. Both have to be true. And so there are times and there are ways in which the Christian life is hard. And there are way, times and ways in which the Christian life is light and easy. And there are seasons when the Christian life is hard. And there are seasons when the Christian life is easy. Okay? Both are true. And isn't it true? And there's many different elements to the, this and many different facets. How many of you know that, that um, 
when you get to that point of letting go of something in your life, I don't know how many of you have ever experienced this, but how many of you know that when you get to that moment in your life where you let go of something in your life and you give up control to Jesus, how many of you have experienced or know that to be wonderful? Isn't that true? You get to a place in your life, you've had something you've been trying to keep control of, you've been trying to hold on to it, you finally just, okay, Lord, I give this to you, and you give it to him, and it feels amazing. But how many of you, so that, that's, the, that's the second part there. For my yoke is easy. You get to this place with Jesus sometimes where it's like, wow, I give up control to you, this is amazing. But how many of you know that the process of getting to the point where you let go is often very hard? Isn't that true? So there's a process. Yes, when you get to that point, there's times in our life where we get to our, this point where we go, yes, Jesus, it's all yours. And those parts are really wonderful. And, but often the journey there is the way is hard. And so it's a both and. Now the trick is, again, when we talk about this, when we talk about the, the, you know, the, the, what Jesus says there, the narrow road, the way is hard, the trick is that we define hard in the right way. Okay? We have to d- define hard in the right way because some Christians, the moment they see that verse up there, the Christian life is hard, they gravitate to that. I've even done that at, p- at points in my past um, where they're real zealots for Jesus. And it's like the Christian way is hard, and it's all about hard work and hard effort and hard, and anything hard automatically becomes good. And that's not what Jesus means there. We have to define hard in the way, right way. When Jesus says the way is hard, he's not talking about hard in the sense of it's hard in many activities that you have to do that are very hard. He's not, he's not talking about hard in the sense of hard work all the time and hard effort, even though there will be hard work in a Christian life and there will be times of hard effort, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about defining the Christian life as hard in terms of activity. He's defining it as hard in something else. And the hard, he's defining it as is this. There's this, there's this place we can go in our hearts, and I just alluded to it before when I talked about letting go. There's this place we can go in our hearts where we're actually aligned with Jesus and we're submitted to him. We're not just living a Christian life. We're not just going to church on a weekend and we're not just going to small group and doing all the good things, but there's this place. And any of you who's walked with Jesus for some time, I hope you've been to this place a few, you know, at, at various points in your life and hopefully more than, than less. But there's this place we can go on our walk with God where it's, he's not just a religion, but he's really real. And you come to these places in your life where you're submitted to him and your whole life is submitted to him and he's the number one focus and you're surrendered to him and you just say, I'm gonna do whatever you want me to do and I'm obeying you and I'm coming after you and he's real and you're surrendered to him and that is the narrow road. The narrow road is this sweet place of surrender to Jesus where I make him my focus and I'm seeking him after him and I'm not just playing this game at church. Do you hear what I'm saying? That Now, why would he call that hard? The reason he calls that hard is because there's so many weights and distractions in life that pull us off of that. He's not talking about hard in the sense of activity where every day if I'm a Christian, I get up and I must do hours of prayer and I must do hours of Bible reading and I must do hours of evangelism. I must do hours of spiritual discipline. He's not talking about hard that way. He's talking about the fact that the narrow road is very, very narrow. This, this place that we go into where, we're, where we just, and then, and then we're out of it. Isn't that true? We go there for a week. We go there for a day. And all of a sudden, you just have this place where, oh, I'm in this awesome place with Jesus. And then three days later, we're not. And then we go to this place. We go through a place of deep suffering. And for a season in our life, we're in this awesome place with Jesus. And our mind is always on him. And we're praying. And we're listening to him. And we love him. And we're surrendering to him. And then a month later, we're not there anymore. Because there's all these weights and hindrances in our lives that pull us off. The narrow path is hard, not in terms of effort, but because it's so narrow. There's just this, and we swing to either side. 
And, 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 and these things swing us off. So on the one side, worldliness and distractions. We just get cluttered with the busyness of life. And we're still going to church. And we're still, and we're still maybe even doing our devotions. And we're still going to small group. And we're doing all the religious things we're supposed to do. But how, when was the last time we heard God? And when we're brushing our teeth, our mind doesn't go to Jesus. When we're on our way to work, our mind doesn't go to Jesus. It goes to everything else. Our mind is cluttered with all this other stuff. So on the one side, and that pulls us off the narrow road. On the other side, we get into this place of, of all kinds of things, like just religious activity and trying to earn God's favor by doing stuff, but we're not really connected to him. And then in the middle is just this sweet spot where we're experiencing him and hearing him and walking closely with him, and our mind is on him, and we know him, and we know the joy of knowing him. And it's hard because there's so much stuff pulling us both ways. That's why it's hard. And so the, the, the Bible actually has lots of, Warnings about this has lots of warnings to, uh, to watch out um, because it doesn't come naturally. Constant vigilance is required. I'll just read you a couple. We could look at lots. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Notice it's not just sin. He goes on to say, and sin, which clings so closely. But a lot of Christians think, if I just get rid of the sin in my life, Oh, I'm going to be good with God. Well, yes, you've got to get rid of the sin in your life. But there's lots of Christians who are living pretty good lives. They're not, they're not you know, weighed down with all kinds of overt sins. And yet, like I said, when you brush your teeth, when you go to work, when you're sitting down with the kids, your mind rarely goes to Jesus. He's not really the number one priority in your life. You're really just kind of playing a game, and he's not really real. He's not really present in your life that you're really going after him. And so the author of Hebrews says, we've got to get rid of not just the sin, but the weight, the clutter of life, the stuff, the good stuff that builds up and builds up and builds up, and actually we're pursuing that stuff, and we're so busy going after that stuff, we can't make Jesus the number one, and really there is only one thing that's worthy of being number one, and that is Jesus. On the day of judgment, it's not going to be, did you live a good life? It's going to be, what did you do with the one thing that really mattered, my son? And so he says, throw off. We need to lay aside every weight and the sin. So sin too, but we need to lay aside every weight and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How about Luke 21? And again, we can look at many, many verses. But Luke 21 says this, but watch yourselves. Again, notice the vigilance. This is the narrow path. It's not hard in terms of activity. It's hard of in, in terms of it's so narrow. You, you just have to keep that vigilance constantly that you're not going off on either side. Luke 21, but watch yourselves in the narrow path, right? Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Now, dissipation, that's just a life of, of ease and luxury. So many Christians today are seeking after that, actually. And then they would never say it. None of us would ever say it. But many of us are seeking a goal in life. I want to have an easier life. I want to have an easier retirement. I want to have a nicer house. Not that any of those things are wrong in and of themselves, but we're seeking a life of that rather than life in Jesus. Others are seeking it in drunkenness. Hopefully that's uh, no one here. That one's more obvious. And then obviously just the cares of this life. Okay? And so what is the antidote to that? We keep reading, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, the day of the day of judgment when Jesus returns. It's coming, and, and, we, and we just live these good lives, and we live these decent lives, but in the end, we don't live lives that are about the thing that really matters. And someday Jesus is going to come back, and it's going to be like, you just, you lived asleep. You, you just lived for little petty things. You didn't live for the real thing. 
And so that day comes upon you as a trap. Why? Because the narrow road is, is right here, but you weren't vigilant and you walked over down in here. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake. Notice again, vigilance, but stay awake. See, this is the hard part. The hard part is the vigilance. The narrow road is very narrow. It's easy to be off it and fool yourself. It's easy to live Christian and not be on the narrow road. So stay awake. Watch out. That's the vigilance part. Watch out that your life isn't cluttered. Watch out that your real number one priority or two and three haven't actually jumped ahead of Jesus. But stay awake at all times. Here's the antidote. Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Prayer is the antidote. Okay? It is in prayer that we watch over our lives. And some Christians have this idea like prayer, that's a, that's a gift that some Christians have. And it's true. There is a gift of prayer and intercession. We have a number of people here at this church who are gifted in intercession. They're called to that. They pray more than, than the rest of us are called to. Uh, we all have different callings. This isn't about copying each other. This isn't about you're more spiritual. The person who puts in two hours a day is more spiritual than a person who puts in half an hour. It's not about numbers like that. There is such a thing as gifting, calling. Someone like me who is uh, a leader in a church, certainly there is a calling on my life and God has affirmed that in my life that I'm called, I, I feel a bigger sense of responsibility to pray than maybe most people would. But nonetheless, all of us need prayer to stay vigilant. And let me just tell you this, five or ten minutes a day isn't going to cut it. I don't care what your job is. If, if we're going to stay away, if we're going to be bombarded 24-7 with, and we've got to walk the narrow road, but we're constantly bombarded, not just by sinful messages, by, by worldly clutter, and it's so easy to walk off that narrow road where Jesus is no longer the number one thing in my life, and I'm not in that sweet spot of surrender to him. Well, the thing is, like Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane to the disciples, he said, Pray, stay awake and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we may be able to stand against temptation. And so he says here at all times, but stay awake. This is, he's not just speaking here to pastors or to intercessors, but stay awake to all of us, he says, at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Okay? And of course, this is where fasting is such a gift as well. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in just a bit. But it, when we fast, we take a break from food and we lay down some good things in our lives to re-clarify, to, to be vigilant, to be watchful and say, where am I? Am I on a narrow path or am I somewhere beside the narrow path? Now, before we move on, okay, so the narrow road is hard. Jesus says the way is hard. And it's hard because there's so many distractions, so many people get pulled off, and it's so easy to be off the road. But I want to say something else before we move on, and that is this. Compromise is hard too. Compromise is actually hard too. And a lot of times I don't think we stop long enough to think about that fact, that compromise is hard as well. Um, I had a picture one time. I was, I was uh, in this, just in this place in my life. I was a little bit dry, and prayer was hard. You ever been there? Like, have you ever been in a place where you, sometimes you're not praying, and you're not spending time with the Lord because you just are not disciplined, and you haven't set aside time to be with Him, so you're just not praying? Other times, though, and I, I wonder how many of you have experienced this, probably most of you or many of you, other times you do set aside time to pray. And you're disciplined about it. And you are even disciplined to put lots of time away. Maybe you put away an hour most days, or you put away 45 minutes to read the Bible 
and to pray. And so you're saying, I'm doing all the right stuff, and I'm going to church, and I believe the right stuff, and yet everything you do is hard. Have you ever had that? The discipline is there. The actual time in prayer is there. But when you pray, it's hard, and you can't concentrate. And, and during the day, your mind does not go to the things of God. It goes to everything else but God. And then you get up in the morning and you have this time for prayer, but it just feels like the whole time is wasted, like you just can't get into it. I've had lots of times in my life like that. I continue to have times like that in my life. That's because, again, the narrow road, we're constantly on, off. It takes vigilance. The way is hard. But the reason for that is, anyway, I was, I was praying one day, and, and Lord, I'm, I'm, you know, why is this so hard? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, so why can't, like, why is it so hard for me? And immediately he gave me this picture, and I, and I saw the narrow road, kind of like in this, in this passage. Um, I saw the narrow road, and it was kind of up beside me, and it was very narrow, and it was hard packed, and I was walking along beside the narrow road. I wasn't on the narrow road. I was beside the narrow road. I was in this ditch, and I was up to my knees in mud, and there was roots everywhere clinging on to me. And I was, I was following along beside the narrow road. So it wasn't like I was trying to rebel against God. I wasn't going away from God. I was following the narrow road. I was trying to go move towards God, but I wasn't moving. And I was slogging, and every step was hard. And so I was moving, trying to move in the right direction, but I couldn't, I couldn't get any traction. And the reason was um, because I wasn't on the narrow road itself. See, when you're on the narrow road, yeah, it's, it's, it's narrow, so you've got to be vigilant that you don't go off of it. But when you're on it, you can really move because it's hard-packed. It's easier to walk up there. And so I said, Lord, well, why am, why am I slogging? I'm doing all the right stuff. I'm trying to move towards you. Why am I slogging? And he said, it's because you haven't surrendered to me. There's parts of your life that you're hanging on to that you're not prioritizing. And, then if, and when you have a peace in your life, you say, yeah, but I'm giving God 98. I go to church. I believe all the right things. I tithe. In fact, sometimes when we're holding on to something that we don't want to give up on, we even do extra in this area. Have you ever, have you ever done that? I'm all over that because we want to impress God. Please don't touch this area of my life. This is mine, and if you leave this to me, Jesus, I'll do extra prayer. I'll do two hours of prayer. I'll do seven-day fast instead of three. I'll witness to more people. I'll be a much better Christian. If you just let me have control of this area of my life, I'm going to do all this. And Jesus says, no. I'll take 30 seconds of surrendered prayer over 90 minutes of unsurrendered prayer. And the thing is, there's no joy in the unsurrendered one. So you spend time, I've, how much of my life have I wasted doing this? Hang on, hang on over here. I'm, I'm not, and then, oh, I'm going to go extra hard over here, and it does not work. And your mind cannot go to the things of God because your heart isn't surrendered. So what you do is you're slogging. Now when you set aside time for God, it's so hard. Everything's hard, and to pray is hard. Everything's hard because you're not, you were made to be surrendered. And the moment you give God surrender, the moment you say, Kate, oh, it hurts. Oh, you're number one. All of a sudden, oh, Dinah. I wake up in the morning. I want to talk to him. I go to work. I want to talk to him. I can hear him. And now I'm moving because in a narrow way, it's hard because it's easy to come off the path. But when you're on it, it's hard packed. It's wonderful walking and you can make lots of progress towards God. But compromise steals our joy everywhere. Compromise steals our joy everywhere. And it slows us down so that we can't move towards Him. Now, 
You're on the number, you're on the narrow road. Where am I in time? Oh, I got lots of time. You can have only one number one priority, and that is Jesus. What does that even mean? As soon as I say that, oh great, this is one of those messages. I've, I've, been, I've been this person. I totally know how lots of you feel. Someone says, you know, the narrow road, it's hard. You've got to submit everything to Jesus. You've got to surrender everything. I have a fear reaction every time I hear that message. <gasps> what does it mean to make Jesus number one, right? Does any of you get that? Don't raise your hands. Don't embarrass me. Maybe none of you ever have that fear. You're all just perfect. The 11 o'clock totally engages with me more on that one. They're just way more problem. But, um, <laughs> but do you ever get that? Like a missionary, you think... Because when we think, make Jesus number one priority in my life, we have, it's almost like a fear reaction. What does that mean? That would mean I would sell everything, live in a cardboard box, and move to Africa. That's kind of, we have that picture. So we have this fear reaction. Another, I know another thing we have is a lot of Christians today, and I've had it too, we think, okay, what does it mean to make Jesus number one? And we have this paranoia about idols. We have this paranoia like, if I like anything, if I'm passionate about anything in life, if I'm passionate, like if a guy gets really into hunting, you got some Christians that are looking at him, that's probably an idol, right? Or, you know, someone gets into uh, fitness or something, uh, that, that's an idol. And we're afraid that if I like anything, I've prayed with people. I've prayed with people that they're constantly confessing having idols. Anytime they like anything, oh, I kind of like watching football, idol! i got to confess this in cell. I just confess I have an idol. And we're afraid to be passionate about anything because we're afraid of this message I'm talking right now. Making Jesus number one means I can't have anything in this life that I'm passionate about. Okay? That is not what it means to make Jesus number one. Okay? We don't... You, we're not supposed to go through life being afraid of having idols. We're not supposed to go through life being afraid of having passions. We're not supposed to go through life being afraid of having hobbies. The antidote to idolatry is not to be less passionate, but to be more passionate for Christ. That's the thing. Okay, the antidote to idolatry, the narrow road is not, I have no hobbies in life. The narrow road is, all of my hobbies are enjoyed in Christ. There's a place we can go where we pick these things up in Jesus. And so again, I say this, the narrow road is the sweet spot in our hearts, not where we have nothing so that we might have Christ, but where we have Christ and everything in him. And it's the sweet spot of surrender that we can go, and, and it's not going to look the same in any two people. A lot of people, different Christian sects over the years, uh, and I can think of some now, but it's been going on throughout all the centuries. But different Christian sects have believed walking the narrow road Looks this has to look the same in all people. So they, they sell all of their goods, they move together, they have dress codes, they have various things. And I'm not saying these people are bad, okay? I'm not criticizing people. I'm just saying many Christian sects over the, over the centuries have felt like the narrow road, there's only one way to walk the narrow road, and that is to totally, you know, move off on our own and just abandon, abandon the world. But the fact of the matter is, the narrow road... The one thing that everybody on the narrow road has in common is their surrender to Jesus and he's number one. But that's on the inside. On the outside, how that looks, totally different. No two narrow roads look the same. One guy, to walk the narrow road, he gives up his business and walks away from lots of wealth in order to sell everything he has and follow Jesus into, into ministry or, or whatever. And that's the narrow road for him. The next guy 
goes into business and gets fabulously wealthy, submitted to Jesus and submits all its wealth to Jesus that way. And you go, I want to be the guy who submits to Jesus by being rich. <laughs> you don't get to choose. Amen. That's the thing. See, the narrow road is Jesus has a path for you. And you have to walk his path for you. So one guy, he walks the narrow road, he leaves sports behind. He lays it down, he leaves athletic success behind, and he moves into Jesus. The next guy submits to Jesus, his athletic abilities rises to the top of his sport and does it that way. It's, it never looks the same. Let's look at this a little more. Let's look at, uh, I'm going to just pick something. I like to pick different things and be real specific in message, but let's just look at this a little more closely um, because the narrow road, totally different. You can't judge it by externals. You, you just, you cannot judge it by externals. Um, let, let's pick uh, body image and fitness, for example, because there's some Christians out there, they would say anybody, you know, who's into, big into fitness, that person is not into God because God's not into that. You, you, if, if you were really into God, you would pray and fast all the time. You wouldn't care what your body looks like. Well, sure, okay. Um, yeah, there's probably a lot of idolatry in the fitness industry. We can, we can admit that. And many people have, have uh, got a false hope in what their body looks like. No question about that. And they do spend too much time on it. But that doesn't mean that everyone who's into fitness is an idolater, okay? And so let's take two guys. You have two guys, and they both work out like crazy, Let's say on the outside, their, their lives are identical, okay? They both work out like crazy. They're big into fitness. They're very, very fit. They both go to church. They both go to cell. They both, believe, they both go to the same church, okay? They both go to the same cell, okay? But one guy, his heart is absolutely soft to Jesus. If you open up his brain, you would find, from the outside, people look at him and say, oh, it's all vanity. He's just a very selfish person. But actually, if you open up his brain, you'd find that, this guy thinks almost all the time about Jesus. He's very grateful. He actually loves God. If you open up his brain, he actually, he thinks a bit about fitness and he's into it, but actually most of his thoughts, it's all about Jesus. And he's just so thankful to God and he's soft to God. And on his way to and from a workout, he can pray and be close to God, no problem. Other guy, same guy. You'd say, well, he's a Christian. He can do that. The other guy's a Christian. He's doing the same thing. It's totally fine. The other guy, you open up his brain you find a guy who does his devotions every single day because he'll feel guilty if he doesn't. And yet, if you open up his brain and he believes all the same things as this other guy, you find a guy here and he has very little experience of God. He has very little joy in God. In fact, if you ask him about his spiritual life, he's completely, totally dry. Now, if you ask this guy number two and you would find that maybe he's obsessed with the fitness side of things. Like, on the outside, they're both working out the same amount. But this guy, his mind can't go away from it. He's absolutely obsessed. His whole identity is based on how he looks. Now you say to this guy over here, you say, hey, maybe the fitness thing has become a bit of an idol to you. And immediately, and by the way, this isn't just fitness. Some of you are going, oh yeah, this is no problem for me. Just apply it to yourself in whatever your area is. <laughs> this guy, you ask him about it, you say, well, maybe fitness has become a bit of an idol for you. He's going to rationalize right away two things. First of all, he's going to say, Whoa, 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 whoa. Exercise isn't a bad thing, and he's right. Exercise is not a bad thing. As a general rule, no question, God made us to be physical beings. 
We are physical beings. We are not just spiritual beings. The physical and the spiritual are intertwined. Someone who does not steward the physical well will also suffer spiritually because the two go hand in hand. So he is right. On that level, he's right. Exercise is not a bad thing. The other thing he'll rationalize is he'll say, that guy does the same thing. If he can do it and love Jesus, so can I. And we do this all the time. If he can do it or she can do it and love Jesus, so can I. That is not the narrow road. The narrow road is about you and Jesus and who's number one in your life. And that other guy or that other girl might be able to do whatever, fill in the blank, and they might get closer to Jesus while they do it. And you might do that same activity and be brought farther from Jesus by doing it. It has to do with the inside. You know, I love a verse. I just have to put this up here. It really doesn't have anything to do with the message and I, but I reserve the right to do that in all my messages. Um, the end of the Gospel of John, I was thinking about this point, that the narrow road is about you and Jesus, not about somebody else and Jesus. And I, immediately, this story comes to me. You know, Peter, at the end of the Gospel of John, uh, Peter has, has denied Jesus three times. He's embarrassed. And now Jesus restores him. And then at the end, Jesus does something that, it's like, Jesus, why would you do that? He tells Peter, he prophesies to Peter, by the way, you're gonna, the way you're going to die? Like, by the way, who wants that? Or right there, I'd be saying, stop! No, I'm not listening! Don't tell me that! But Jesus tells Peter, uh, by the way, you're going to die uh, by crucifixion. Oh. Well, thank you for that, Jesus. Really makes me feel good. Anyway, now Peter, I love how human Peter is. So he looks around, he sees the Apostle John. And right away, he does the same thing I would have done. Because I would just want to, if someone else is going to be miserable, if, I, or if I'm going to be miserable, I want someone else to be miserable. So how's he going to die? That's basically what he says, okay? <laughs> and look what Jesus says to him. I love this, okay? Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So I'm going to die by crucifixion. How's this guy going to die? Okay? Now look what Jesus says to him. If it is my will that he remain until I come. If it's my will, in other words, that he doesn't die at all, what is that to you? You follow me. That is the narrow road. The narrow road is not I compare myself to everyone else so they have that size of a house, they have that hobby, they look that good, they are that fit, and so I keep up with them because they love Jesus and do it, therefore I can do it. And Jesus says, what is that to you? You follow me. I have to be number one in your life, in your life. In your life. You don't get to choose. You say, well, how do I do that? Like, let's get practical here. How do I actually make sure that I'm on the narrow road, that in the various areas of my life, I'm actually submitted to Jesus and, and I'm not having idols and I'm actually following him, number one? Well, I got three points. We could probably make hundreds. Okay, books have been written about this. This is not the only three points, but there's just three I prayed about and that I'll talk about here. First one is, don't freak out about it. Trust Jesus to take you through a process. I just have to say that one first because I'm one of those people that just freaks out about this stuff. Uh, on this journey of the narrow road and surrendering to Jesus, we have to maintain some perspective. And the, and the perspective you have to maintain is this, that Jesus... Uh, really loves you, and if you want to be on the narrow road, you can trust that he's going to draw you on a process. You're going to trust that he's going to draw you on a process. See, he's the master gardener. 
And if you're willing, see, the thing is, you have to be willing. Though. Lots of Christians just, they just merrily live in the ditch. They live in the ditch of compromise. And you ask, when's the last time you had an answer to prayer? When's the last time you experienced God? When's the last time God talked to you? What experience of God is in your life anywhere? Well, there is none, but we go to church all the time. And they're just happy to be there. But if you're in a place where I want to walk the narrow road, I want to have Jesus as number one in my life, I want to love him, I want to know him, well, if you're in that place, one thing Jesus does not want you doing is, is every day this exhaustive search of, do I have idols? Am, am I making him number one? You'll, you'll drive yourself crazy. You won't be able to handle it. You'll exhaust yourself. It's not what he wants from you. He's gracious. You can trust. You can trust that he will put you on a process, and that process will involve some things that you don't always like. In fact, it's usually in the suffering and the pain, at least for me. I'm hard-headed. But for me, there's nothing like an anxiety attack to bring me closer to Jesus. And I've talked about that before. Like, there's nothing like to make me pray. I'm all distracted about all kinds of stuff. And then the Lord just hits the button for a couple of days. And I'm like, oh, wow. Woo, Jesus, surrender. I'll give you anything you want. But one thing I've learned is I can trust him that he's going to put me on a process. And I won't always like the process, but I can trust him. I don't have to always exhaustively examine myself every day. But he's going to put me on a process. He's, to, he's the master gardener. He's going to pull out roots in my heart. If I'm willing, he's going to take me on a process. He's going to take me on a journey. He's going to garden my heart. And, he's, and as long as I'm willing and I'm open, he is going to do this in me. So we have to even surrender to him the process of being surrendered. Okay? We have to want it, though. We have to want it. But if we want it, we have to surrender to him even the process of being surrendered. Surrendered, And there's been many times in my life where I felt God saying, certain areas of my life you have to let go. And actually, I, 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 I've just come to realize there are certain times I'm hanging on to stuff so tight, I can't let it go. And then I always know when it is because you get a knot in your heart and prayer becomes hard. And then I just have to tell Jesus, okay, Lord, now you have to help me. And please be gentle. I always add that. I pray that often. And please be gentle. But he will help you to let go of things. Because the thing is, that's where the life is. Every time you let go of something, life. Remember he said, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You actually find life in him when you let go. It's so hard, but he will help you. Second thing, very practical here, ask Jesus, who am I? Who am I? And this is a very practical question that goes right to the heart of submission because so many times in our lives, the, reasons we're, the reason we're hanging on to things so tightly is because we're trying to be people that, that Jesus has not made us to be. Okay, and stuff, again, I'm, I'm, I'm just always sharing from my life. So some of it I've shared before, and I know I have, but it just illustrates that I just want to show you some of this in my own life with easy-to-show things. But I've talked before about running, and I still love to run. I enjoy running. And uh, it's healthy, and I just enjoy it. Um, but a few years ago, I just got to this place, and I was, I was trying to improve my times. I was trying to get faster and faster and faster. I was running more and more and more miles. And, and then I just, I'll never forget Jesus talking to me about who I am. And he said to me one day, he said, you are not a professional runner. Like, hello. <laughs> this is not your calling in life. You are a pastor. You are a dad. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Who am I? See, but I was hanging on to stuff. Why was I hanging on to it? I was trying to be someone I'm not. 
So now it was actually painful. The funny thing is some of you, if God told you to run less, you, woo hoo hoo <laughs> But others of us, if you're into something, right? Oh, it was hard. Especially my personality, I keep track of everything, so I keep track of miles. And now my miles the last few years have gone way down from what I used to run every year. And because I track it, it, at first it was actually hard. It was actually hard for me to let go and say, I'm going to run less. I'm going to be slower. It was actually hard for me. But as I let go, there was so much peace and relief in that. Who am I? Who are you calling me to be? So much problems with submission come from us trying to be people we're not. Trying to be, look like we're 30 when we're 50. Problem. Trying to be a different body type than what God made us to be. Trying to, have respon- trying to take on responsibility for things he hasn't given us responsibility for. Trying to be experts in something he didn't call us to be experts in. Anytime you try to be someone he hasn't called you to be, you're going to end up hanging on to things in your life and not surrendering them to Jesus. And you'll end up off the narrow road. And you'll end up without peace and you'll end up without joy and you'll end up without life. So who am I? Now, I'm not talking here again. Some of you will go way overboard with this question, especially some young people. Give me the master plan for my life in the next month. He's not going to tell you that, okay? But you just look at your life right now, and you just ask him, Jesus, who am I today? Who am I in this season? I'm a student. I'm a husband. I'm a wife. I'm a grandpa. I'm a grandma. I'm a musician. I'm a, Lord Jesus, who am I in this season of my life? Not the master plan of everything you ever wanted me to do, but who am I right now? Who am I supposed to be? And then you know what? You're released. You, you think of a, uh, like a Pastor Ray as an example, and God has shown him like his calling this season of his life in church renewal. And he's able to work very hard in that then because the Lord has released him to do that. Someone else might work very hard at something and might actually become an idol because they're not being who God called them to be. Once you know who you are, you can work as hard as God wants you to do in that place because you're just being who he, And then you can pick this stuff up. Like the thing is, you know what the running thing, I share that. Okay, so I had to pull back on my running miles. Some of you might be sitting there and you might be going, oh, shoot. Like, I'm not as spiritual because I run more than Chris does and I'm a lot faster than him. And, uh, yeah, maybe it is an idol. No, just kidding. Um, but the fact of the matter is, again, two people, God might have called you to that. He, he called you. He made your body to be very fast and to be long distance. And actually, when you put on tons and tons of miles, you meet Jesus in that. Me putting on the same amount of miles pulls me back from Jesus. It's who are you? One person works hard in this area, it brings them closer to Jesus. The other person works hard in their area, it brings them further from Jesus. But it all has to do with, who are you? Who did Jesus make you to be? What's your path? And in that, you can submit to him. And again, you can trust Jesus to speak to you on this. Again, this is not about the big master plan that you have to know everything and blah, 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 and how God, no. But you can talk to him this month. Who am I in this season of my life? Just, and then look at your life very practically. Who do you want me to be? And then lay down some things where it's too much. Pick up some things where it's too little. But be the person Jesus has called you to be. When, you be. when you are the person he's called you to be, whatever activity that is, you will find him in that. See, you don't just find Jesus by praying more. You find him by submitting. So when you submit to him and work and work at the right things, you will find Jesus in your work. When you submit to Jesus, you exercise, and you exercise according pro- appropriately to what he's made you to be, you will find Jesus in your exercise. 
You can find him in everything in life if it's submitted to him. If you pick up that thing in Christ, you will find him in that. If you pick up that thing apart from Christ, it will pull you apart from him and pull you away from him. That's the narrow road. It's a place of joy. It's not a place of you do nothing but pray. It's a place of doing everything in him, submitted to him. Third thing, very practically, God has given us a very practical tool. Excuse me, my mouth is just a bit dry. God has given us a very practical tool to use in the journey of surrendering our lives to him, and that is fasting. And that is fasting. Fasting is the the practice of voluntarily laying down good things in our lives in order to bring our hearts into alignment with Jesus. There is so much clutter. There is so much clutter in our lives. And there are so many good things. Sometimes it actually almost overwhelms me because I see how easy it is for me to be distracted. I mean, in in the end, did you walk with Jesus full out? Did you love him all out? But there's a hundred things in our lives that distract us. And now we go a month and we haven't loved Jesus hardly at all. There's just so much clutter. There's so much busyness. Lots of this stuff we can't lay aside. We have to work. We have to pay bills. We spend time with our families. We do these various things. We exercise. We do all this stuff. But all of this good stuff can pile up and pile up and pile up and pile up. And next thing you know, we are far from the narrow road. And we're not on the narrow road. And we're not submitted to Jesus. We're not experiencing him. He's not number one in our lives. Fasting is a gloriously simple, wonderful, difficult tool that helps us periodically and regularly. One time in your life doesn't do it, but regularly. It's a regular house cleaning where I voluntarily lay down eating food and I voluntarily lay down good, other good things that are perfectly good, but I lay them down for a time in order to remember the one thing that really matters. The one thing that really matters. One of the things you'll often find when you begin fasting is the first couple of days that you fast, you'll feel kind of empty and lost. That's why lots of you have quit fasting. Because you tried it and you thought it would be fireworks. Oh, God, this is amazing. So you stopped eating for a day and you didn't watch TV and you felt hungry and hopeless and empty. Why do we feel that way when we fast? I'll tell you why we feel that way. Because so many of us have slipped off the narrow road. And what happens in the busyness and clutter of life is these good things that you would say, hey, that's not a bad thing. Don't be a legalist. Well, amen, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But what happens is we start to actually draw our life and our joy out of these things instead of out of Jesus. And so we come to church and we sing songs. All we need is Jesus. I don't actually think we sing a song that was exact words, but we sing lots of songs like that, basically. Oh, Jesus, you're our life. Oh, it's all about you. And then we go home and all week, we take our life from other stuff. And then you lay down that stuff for just a day or two and you feel empty because it's exposing that all along you were not drawing your life from Christ. You were singing that your life was coming from him, but you were living that your life was from 
looking forward to that next TV show and looking forward to that next movie and looking forward to that next workout and what you're going to look like and looking forward to this and looking forward to that. And none of them is bad, maybe. But you are not day-to-day drawing your life and hope and joy from Jesus himself. You're drawing it from success at work. You're drawing it from how nice your house is. You're drawing, drawing it from what people think about you. But you're not actually getting your sustenance and life from Jesus. And when you fast, it exposes that. And you feel empty. Because it's like a house. You've actually built your house on sand. And when you clear out the sand, you go into a free fall until you come back down on rock. But lots of people quit right there because they don't like that feeling. Oh, I don't like that feeling. I can't concentrate. I'm grumpy at home. I better not fast anymore because it just makes me grumpy. It makes you grumpy because there's a problem. And so we stop before we get to the real thing, which is it's time for us to find our life in an actual person, and his name is Jesus. And when you find your life in him, you can go back to doing good things So long as you remember and continue to draw your life from him, there's even a way, when you're on the narrow road, there's a way for you to enjoy things in him so that you're actually drawing your love from him as you do these other things. But very few of us spend much of our life there. We spend much of our life trying to suck our life out of these things instead of Jesus. And so in fasting, it's not that you can never pick those good things up ever again, but regularly in fasting, we lay aside a whole bunch of things so we can, where am I? Get back on the narrow road. Jesus, you are my life. You are my number one. I actually am living for you and I want to experience you. And we put aside other things and we force ourselves to draw our life from him. So, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing this month. And I'm going to invite you to join me. Hundreds of you joined me last, month, last year. We did a three-day fast together, and hundreds of you joined me, and it was super fun. And lots of you, testimonies, unbelievable. I know testimonies of people uh, having babies who didn't think they got babies, and like huge miracles, more than one, a whole bunch actually. Uh, people being healed of things like depression, marriages, different things, children uh, restored, totally flipped around, people who were children who are rebellious and against God, now following Jesus. I know huge miracles, not because I did it, but because we, by doing it together, it encouraged a bunch of people to do it. So I'm just going to tell you what I'm doing this month, and I'm going to invite those of you who want to join me, or you pick whatever. Again, it's not about comparing. The narrow road is not about comparing, but for some of you, it's encouraging to do something together. Okay? So you can pull out your fasting cards. I'll give you a chance to fill them out in just a moment. But we're in prayer and fasting month. This is our chance to go for the narrow road. This is our chance to find our life in Jesus and surrender our lives to him and actually make him number one and get on that narrow road. So one of the things I would encourage you to do, and you can join me, join me in this, and if this, these days don't work or if you can't because of your job or you're pregnant or whatever, this isn't about guilt. This isn't about you're your more and more spiritual according to how much you do it, not at all. Uh, so I know a number of people who are doing far more than me, so this is not about quantity. This is about, again, I just feel, um, again, I, I feel a responsibility and I feel a calling to invite you guys into this with me and I like doing it with you. So, uh, but one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do a three-day food fast every week uh, starting this week for the next three weeks until the, the last um, uh, prayer summit uh, church renewal week. I'm going to do a Tuesday uh, to Thursday supper. So don't eat anything Tuesday. Don't eat anything Wednesday. Don't eat anything Thursday until supper. Woohoo! You can eat again in Jesus. Okay? Um, 
I would encourage you, those of you who can, one thing we have set aside on the church calendar, next week, January 13th to 15th, you'll see it on your card, a uh, whole bunch of us on, uh, on staff and leadership are all going to fast together on those three days. So if you can't, if you don't want to do three three-day food fasts, do one. Join us. Let's do one big, huge church-wide one uh, next week. I think it'll be um, powerful. And again, no guilt. You pray and do something that works for you. It's an invitation. For some of you, it's easier to enter into something if you have feel the encouragement of a bunch of other people doing it with you. And if you can't do it or your job doesn't allow for you to do it, you don't feel bad about it. It's not, it's not about that at all. But this is an opportunity for us to lay aside some things and go after Jesus. And I think by doing it together, it encourages people to do it. Um, but certainly next week, there is one. If you can only do one three-day fast, join us next week for, uh, on the 13th to the 15th. And uh, we're going to do one all together. But if you want to do more, you can join me Tuesdays and Thursdays every week this month. Um, a second thing I'm doing this, this, uh, this month, um, which I'm already really enjoying, is I'm doing a media fast from Monday to, uh, to Saturday. And uh, during that time, I'm not reading any books. I'm not reading any uh, newspapers. I'm not reading anything but the Bible. And, uh, um, you know, I read a study this last week that it takes the average person. They looked at how fast the average person can read. And they, they, um, they uh, did this little thing, whatever, and they, they broke it all up. They found that the average person can read the entire Bible in 70 hours, which is actually amazing. It's a lot shorter than I would have thought it was. And so the average person can, can read the Bible in, in, uh, in 70 hours. And I thought to myself, you know, this month, prayer and fasting month, can you imagine if a bunch of us, for a bunch of us, if we just laid down some, some good things in our lives, if we laid down a little bit of, of, of exercise, if we laid down all of our TV watching and, and movie watching and media and books and just read the Bible, there's a whole bunch of us here who with that extra time could get all the way through the Bible or all the way through the New Testament or half of it or whatever could do a big chunk of the Bible. And I just thought to myself, imagine, imagine what could happen in your life. Okay, imagine what could happen in your life if you took one month, one month, to clear away all the clutter. Just one month. Not six months, not a year, not the rest of your life, but if we took one month to clear away the clutter, and for one month we just focused and pressed ourselves into God's Word, and did some food fasting, and did some mind fasting, and just, and just got into God's Word, and just sought after Jesus, and for one month just said, Jesus, we're actually going to just draw our joy and sustenance out of you. You are the, we talk about him being the bread of life. Very few of us in North America ever actually discover that to be true. He's the bread of life. He's the food. He's, he feeds us. He did that, and then we feed ourselves and everything else, and we never actually feed on him. What would happen if for one month we would just feed on him and pursue him and push into him? I wonder, some of you, what things God might reveal to you. Some of you need big-time direction from God. Some of you need big-time, you have problem issues in your life. You have decisions to make. And you've been wondering for a long time, God, I need direction. You're not getting direction. I wonder if you set aside one month and just pressed into God's word and cleared your mind of everything else and just said, Lord, I'm pursuing you for one month. I'm going to fast. I'm going I'm I'm to just put my mind on you. I wonder what things God would reveal to you this month. Some of you... You have huge things in your life, physical ailments. You have family issues. You have kid issues. You have whatever financial issues. I wonder if you took a set aside one month to really seek the face of God. 
to put your mind onto his word, to fast, to get back on the narrow road, to, to surrender every area of your life and to say, Lord, I, I, I open my hand to you. I wonder what kinds of things God would do in your life if you set aside one month to pursue him like that. Some of you have got habitual sins you can't get rid of. You have emotional difficulties you can't get rid of. You have thought patterns you can't get rid of. You have marriage issues you can't get rid of. I wonder what God might do in your life if you set aside one month to just, I'm just coming after you. I'm clearing the clutter. I'm opening up my hands to you. I'm going to seek you with everything that's in me. I wonder what God would do in your life if you set aside one month to just push after him. I know, I know that I will promise you one thing. If you press into God this month, you will experience him and he will reveal himself to you. James chapter 4 says this. Draw near to God and look at this. He will draw near to you. That is a promise from God. The reason so many of us have so little experience of God and so little touch from God and so little revelation from God is because we have not drawn near to him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you will pursue him this month, if you will set aside one month, I'm going after you this month, God. I'm going to meditate on your word. I'm going to listen to only your voice. I'm going to clear away the clutter. I'm going to open up my hands. I'm going to get on the narrow road. What might God do? Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know what double-minded is? That's what I talked about before, where I'm pursuing things in this world, where I hold on to them, and they, they, I do not allow Christ to have control, and I try to pursue Christ on the other hand at the same time. It's called double-mindedness, and it doesn't work. So what fasting is all about. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let go of the double-mindedness and bring everything under the, under the submission and surrender of Christ. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Hopefully your fasting isn't quite that bad. But again, this is fasting. It's a little bit wretched. You're hungry. You're a little bit weak. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And now look at this promise. So draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Look at this next one. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. What might God do if you took a month this month and said, I'm coming after you. I'm humbling myself. I'm going to weaken myself. I'm going to let go of things that I really, really like. And actually, it really is hurtful. It's actually, I'm, my identity is so bound up in this thing. For me to stop doing it for a month is actually painful for me. But I'm going to do it anyway. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Humble yourself before him and he will exalt you. I wonder what God might do in your life. What might he say to you? What prayers might he answer? What things might he shift and do in your heart? Things that you have desired and, and things that you could not even have imagined but for years that you've dealt with. I wonder what God might do in your life, but he will exalt you if you humble yourselves before him. And like I said before, it's not about comparing, it's not about numbers, but there is a joy and a fellowship in doing some of these things together. And those of you who want, I'll gladly do some of this with you again as we did last year. Now I want you just to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. You've got those fasting cards. Prayerfully, Lord Jesus, we want to walk the narrow road. And we know that the way is hard because of the clutter and the weights. We know that it's so easy for us to be distracted. We know that it's so easy for us to be pulled off. Oh, Lord, we love our TV shows. And it's not bad to sometimes watch TV. 
But man, for some of us, we can't stop watching. For some of us, we think more about our TV shows than we think about you. That will be a sad place to be on Judgment Day. Lord, exercise. Some of us don't do it. Some of us do it too much. It's hard to let go. It's hard to let go, but that clutter, Jesus, we want to be on the narrow road. We want to be on the narrow road. So this is the month, Lord. This is the month we're coming hard after you. And we're going to lay aside the weights, the sin that clings so closely, yes, but also the weights which hinder and pull us off course. We're going to humble ourselves. We're going to be a little bit wretched. We're going to be a little bit hungry. We're going to be a little bit weak. Sometimes we'll feel a little bit empty because we're just actually not used to finding our life in you. But I pray, Jesus, that this month, as we seek you in prayer and fasting, as we get ourselves onto the narrow road, as we surrender to you, Jesus, I pray that we would encounter you. I pray that you would do great things in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.